Hey, good morning again. Yes, indeed, show us Christ. Let's pray. May the word of my mouth and the meditation of all our heart in in the home, watching this uh, time of worship, that the meditation of our heart will be acceptable to you, O Lord. Show us Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as I introduced the book of Isaiah, I mentioned that there is a superstructure of Isaiah. A superstructure of Isaiah. And also mentioned that uh, the book of Isaiah, particularly in the Old Testament, personalized the solution of God for mankind to a man, to a man, the Messiah. The Messiah. The Messiah became the answer for God's solution for us, for us, and for all generations. The question is also, what was the other solution? What, what could be the other solution that whereby is not God's solution? Actually, there was a domineering, I believe there's a domineering uh, a thought, an idea, that the nation of Israel by itself is God's solution for the world. The nation of Israel by itself is God's solution of the world. And how did they get there? How did they get that idea? If you, you can find that in the, the promise of God to Abraham, there are three components of God's promise to Abraham as found in Genesis 22, which I'll read to you. Genesis 22, God says that, I swear by myself, declared the Lord, that because you have done this, you, Abraham, have done this, and have not withheld, withheld your son, your only son, verse 17, 22 verse 17, I will surely bless you and make you descendant as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendant will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. There are three components, three elements here. Number one is that you will multiply. You, Abraham, will have an, a, a people. They will multiply as the sand of the seashores. There will be many of them. The second thing about taking possession of their enemies is to build up a nation. So there is a nation will be built up. And the third one is that the whole world will be blessed, will be blessed. Well, it can be read that through the nation of Israel, by the nation of Israel, is God's promise that the whole world, the solution of the problem of our, our world through the generation will be solved by the nation of Israel. And this is also helped, I believe, during the time of Isaiah. And also the time when the, of, the, of Jesus' time, when they tried to forcibly take Jesus and make him king, straight away, make him king. And as I read to the present day Zionism, the core belief of Zionism is the land, the people, and the Torah. 
So this is a prevalent uh, uh, idea that through by the nation of Israel, Israel will be the agent of God's blessing to the world. I think this other reading could be better. That is through the nation of Israel, through Abraham's seed, through Abraham's seed to David, to the linkage of Abraham to David, and then finally to Moses, uh, Joseph and Mary, Jesus was born, the real Messiah. So it's not by the nation of Israel, but through the nation of Israel, we have the Messiah coming. And Isaiah was trying to put this through by personalizing that the solution of the world is through the linkage of Abraham, that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is born through. Is born through. So I believe that chapter 1 is the takedown. As George has read, chapter 1 is the takedown of this idea that the nation of Israel is the answer. Nation of Israel failed. Alright, this is the background, the superstructure of how I want to put Isaiah in the whole message which I believe Isaiah has. One of the other things you will come across when you actually study the book Isaiah is this confusion when Israel is mentioned. As I have mentioned in my previous message, that we are now having, during the Isaiah's time, we are having two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Judah. But sometime in the book of Isaiah, when Israel is mentioned, it meant the whole generation of Israel, the whole people of Israel as a united kingdom. Even I believe that in Isaiah, it also actually reflects on the Israel of the past. In Isaiah's time, the curtain is going to come down on the kingdom of Israel already. When you have the Babylonian captivity and then the time of silence. The curtain is about to come down. So when Isaiah says the failure of Israel, he actually meant not just the, the, the snapshot of Israel of that particular, maybe a few years of Ahaz or Hezekiah's time, but it is actually bringing a report card of the whole nation of Israel from Abraham to his time and even to now. So this is the other thing which I want you to be aware as you read the book of Isaiah. When Israel is mentioned, it's not necessarily mean the kingdom of Israel as uh, the two separate kingdoms, but the whole Israel. Now Isaiah chapter 1 set us in a courtroom scene. In a courtroom, courtroom scene. Hear o, Hear, o heaven, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And the heaven and earth are called to sit at weaknesses. And the Lord, God, is the persecutor. I just wonder what is the worst scenario you can get when you sit in the court as the accused. The worst scenario is probably, it is, when the persecutor knew everything of your crime and he has all the facts, all the evidences, and that is the worst scenario. And here you have God. God being the persecutor. God who knows everything. 
God who knows sees us all. Everything in the dark we do, in the, the, the private uh, thinking we have, and all our actions we do. God is the persecutor. And it actually starts to give a cold, cold sweat on me. That this God which actually say, Hear, O Israel, uh, hear, O heaven, and listen on earth, who is going to judge Israel, is the God who is going to judge me too. You and I will face God. We will face God one day. We will, you and I will face God one day. The God who knew everything about us. There is no hope of hiding any evidences. There's no trying of lying to Him around the fact. There's no hope of us coming with a clever scheme of excuse to dodge the truth. God is going to sit at the throne and judge me and truly. And this God who knows everything will actually be the judge for you too. It is really something we should consider soberly as we conduct our life. This is the first thing I gather. Now, over here, Isaiah, God, God shows, charges Isaiah with his, their failures. Their failures. He says here that, uh, I ran up children and they brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manager, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Sin is not just a personal failure, but God take it like a father's whose children choose to rebel against him. He took it like a master's whose servants were breaking their obligation. He took it as a manager whose subordinate refuses to be managed. Israel is worse than the ox. Israel is more stupid than the donkey. Now there were open disobedience. In verse 3, in chapter 3, verse 9, it says that they parade their sins like Sodom. They do not hide it. Israel was in the sense that not only the sinning secretly, but they were proud. They parade their sin. They do not hide it. In fact, they were actually trying God and say, what we do, you know, we are we are happy with what we do. We are celebrating, we are celebrating our sin, parading our sin. The next was the next is idolatry. The other sin of rebellion is idolatry. And when you read the book of Isaiah, this will come over and over again. Idolatry in the culture, in the living in, 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 in the life of the Israelite. Israelite. That is another theme which you can bring right across the book of uh, Isaiah. And in verse 29 of chapter 1, he says that you will be ashamed because of the sacred oak in which you delighted. The sacred oak 
are the, 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 the idolizing of this sacred oat, oat tree, which they are posturing to worship. God says, you'll be ashamed. Idolatry of ascribing to what is God to another. Idolatry is ascribing what is to God to another. Re- re- rejection of God. I think in reflection, there are open rejection to God in our society. By ourselves too, maybe. Open rejection. And it's prevalent. We would not want to have to anything to do with God. We are sometimes clenching our fists and showing anger to God. I remember one time when I, we, I was doing the, the RE. The RE. The first day when we went to the RE and we said, I'm going to talk, tell you about Jesus. And one of the child said, Shh, I'm sorry. My parents say, I cannot say the word Jesus. And the reason is because Jesus is the swear word. How it hurt my heart. That Jesus is a swear word. Such sadness that the hallowed name of Jesus is a swear word. This is one of the open rejection. And I think that more and more our rules and regulations are done contrary to the word of God in rejection of God. This is the open rejection. But there's also the subtle rejection. The subtle rejection. Subtle rejection of claiming. Claiming to represent God. Or claiming to follow Him. But internally, there's a rejection of God. And this subtle rejection of God led to the the superficiality of worship. And this is found in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 to 15. They treat the holy superficially. Your multitude of servants sacrifice. What are they to me, said the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offering, of ram and, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasures in the blood of bulls and lamb and goat. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you of this? Of you trampling my courtyard? Stop bringing meaningless offering. Your incense is detestable. And it goes on. It's not that during that time when they rejected God, there was no religious activity or worship activities. In fact, there were lots of activity and they were inventing more. More assemblies of new moon, Sabbath, and convocation. It is a busy time for the temple. And God said all these are futile. Of no value to Him. All these, He says, I detest. I detest. I cannot bear it. I cannot bear it. I'm weary of bearing them. In verse 14, I will not listen. So you have from the rejection, outward rejection, to the subtle rejection. We reject God, but we actually carry out the the, 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 the activities of worship. And this is 
very dangerous. This is very dangerous. And God is very. I think we have to actually, uh, even as we look at the, our, our, our vision statement about uh, trying to engage worships and all the activities we want to help people to bring them, to bring them closer to God. The more important thing to bring them closer to God. We must keep an eye on this thing. That is not done for the people just so that they will feel religious. But it's their journey they can bring on to know God more. To go on God more. So, the first charge against the people of Israel was they rebelled. The second charge of them was that they actually worship superficially because the first one led to the next one. And the third one, before that, in my reflection, now, superficial worship of God is oxymoron, oxymoronic. Superficially of, super, superficial worship of God is an idiosity of thought and action. It's like eating plastic food. So what are the elements of right worship? What are the elements of right worship? To me, I have a few. First, to be caught up with the worthiness of the mighty God. We have to be caught up in the worthiness of mighty God. God is to be worshipped because He is mighty. He is mighty. Next, is to be struck with fear of the holiness of God. We are fearing, we are trembling to come to fear God because it is the beginning of worship because He is holy and we are not. And we have to, next element is to be humble by our sinfulness. To be humble by our sinfulness. I think there should be a trans, a, 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 a an appropriate uh, a reluctant to come to a holy place because we are unholy and God is holy. And God is holy. There should be a fear as we move in Sunday after Sunday to come to worship. And I use the word reluctance. It's not to bear you away, but to have you to recollect that we come here by the mercies of God. So the third, the, the fourth one is, we should come to worship of God to be thankful that only through His grace and through His mercy that we can sit here and worship Him with a heart, with a heart and our spirit. So the four elements I, I would propose to you is, first is you have to be caught up with the worthiness of God. Next is to be struck in the fear of the Holy God. Next is to be humble by our sinfulness. And to be next lastly is to be thankful of His mercy and His grace. And then the consequential the consequential element of worship is to pledge obedience to Him. And this leads us to the next charge which Israel is not. They were inconsistent between their claim of honoring God to their life. As read here, in verse 16, 
He said, wash, your, wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deed out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. From rebellions to a wrong worship, now to be an inconsistent life, which actually is harming the people around them. They do not seek justice. They do evil. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless, nor plead the case of the widow. And in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4, it says, Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. So, they are also outwardly doing evil. Outward doing evil. Rebellion against God led to superficiality of worship and it further led to evil action and evil deed. If we forsake God's law, we will be evil. Common sense and conscience may guide us to a certain level, but without God's anchoring on God's law, honoring Him, we may be doing evil, thinking we are doing good. We may be doing evil, thinking we are doing good. Now, consequently, due to their rebellion against God, in verse 5 to 6, they have self-inflicted injury. Their, in, their enemies were victorious over them and they will face the judgment of God. This will be, there will be payback. There will be payback now and then. In verse 5 and 6, he says, Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is in, injured, your whole heart afflicted, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. There is no soundness, only wound and welt and open store, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. When we sin against God, when we rebel against God, there will be consequences now. Now. I think that to go against God's law. We lead to a life of pain, ourselves, and also on those around us and our community. And even if a person tries to do the best to be uh, to behave, I feel that there will be an emptiness in us, which actually a person will struggle. A struggle. If we actually rebel against God, there will be emptiness which we actually struggle. A philosopher by the name of Albert Camus say, if you look at your life without God, he is not a Christian. If you just look at our life, the only answer or the only uh, the only uh, possible uh, conclusion is that suicide, taking the life, because life is actually meaningless, meaningless. So there's this self-inflicted injury without God. 
there is this self-inflicted injury without God. And next is, their enemies, for Israel, the enemies were victorious over them in verse 7 and 8. Their country is that your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. At the very moment where Isaiah prophesied this, there were a lot of marauding uh, people from Aram actually came in, coming to the country of uh, Judah and uh, uh, doing that, um, um, uh, what do you call, coming to their field, taking over their field, uh, terrorizing, terrorizing them. That's what's happening at that time. But worse than that, in verse 24 to 28, Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel, declare, Ah, I will get relief from my foe, and I avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you, and I will thoroughly push you away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your judges as is of old, your counsellor as is of the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of the righteous, the faithful. In verse 28, it says, But the rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. perish. So when a person rebels against God, like Israel do, there will be self-inflicted injury. They, for Israel, there will be actually, uh, they will lead a life whereby their enemies were victorious over them. But more than that, they will face the judgment of God. More severe than that, they will face the judgment of God. God say, but the rebels and sinners will both be broken and those who forsake the Lord will perish. Will perish. There will be payback now and there will be payback then. How is it for us to stand now in the face of God who knows everything and God who accuses us of rebelling against him. There's no hiding, as I say. There's no way we can lie around it. There's no scheme which can we can weave to actually avert to say that we are not rebelling or falling short of His glory. We are not going against Him. When we face Him, everything will be laid bare. But this is not the story. I, I, I started with telling you what is the worst scenario that is to have the persecutor which actually, the persecutor which actually knows everything. But what is the best scenario? The best scenario is the God who knew everything is the God who offer settlement. The God who offer a settlement. Even as he persecute, we are in the worst scenario, but then we are in the best scenario because this God says in verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. So you see in this court case, the accused is 
Definitely guilty. Definitely guilty. The prospect is grave. If we think that it's God who's going to avenge himself against us, to turn his wrath against us, it can be no worse future than that. God turning against us. I just cannot think of a worst case scenario. But the best case scenario now is God offers. God offers. Let us settle. Let us settle. He offered to dismiss the offense, the offense if the people of Israel would come back to him. And this he offered to us too. This he offered to us too. So when Isaiah wrote in chapter 1, he also offered a hope. A hope. Even in chapter 1, when you get already sort of uh, been beaten by these this, uh, incriminating uh, charges, that there's a hope. God is a God also of hope. And he offered to us too. So when I come and face God in judgment, I knew that by myself, by myself, I will be guilty. Let's not bluff ourselves. But the God who's going to sit in judgment offer the hope. And the emblem we have just now uh, in the Holy Communion represent that hope. And the personalization of Isaiah on this hope is on the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So when you book, read the, the, the whole book of Isaiah, you have this. this. You, we, are in really, really bad situation. We have a persecutor who knows everything of our sins. We have no escape on that. We are doomed because of that. God is going to judge all who sin against Him, who rebel against Him, and we will perish. There will be a heaven, but there will be a hell too. But the hope of heaven now lies in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Of which Isaiah, in the later chapter of his book, will start to unfold to us God's plan for us. God's plan for all of us, for human, that through the Son of, through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us, there will be settlement of all our sin. So I hope that uh, you'll be blessed that by chapter one, uh, chapter one spoke speak of this that uh, a court case, all of us, I. Israel was represented then. All of us are actually facing God who knows all. The judgment is to come and by ourselves we are facing a, a very, very tough future because God himself to judge us and God Himself will met out our punishment. But the solution is this 
that Jesus Christ, God say we can settle and we can settle through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Show us Christ, we pray. I pray, dear Lord God, that uh, your word, rather than my fumbling explanation, will be the one who will show Christ to those who are listening. You say that let your strength is made even more perfect in weakness. That is your Holy Spirit which convicts us of our sin. I pray that each of us will take back that conviction that we, dear Lord God, apart from Christ, are object, object of rebellions, object of uh, failures. That's only through Christ, only through Christ, you will accept the settlement. I pray for this, dear Lord God. So we depart us in our homes in this time of worship, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to just work with us. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.